Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Welcome, dear listener, to episode 256. This week, we're sharing part three of a discussion with Larry Roberts. He's an entrepreneur and the owner of Red Hat Media. But before we get to the interview, let's share where we are on the timeline so far. In part one of our discussion with Larry in episode 254, we heard about Larry's experience in martial arts. He was a fighter, and he became an instructor for martial arts students. Larry talked about needing to know not only the techniques, but also the concepts involved in fighting, and you have to have both. Larry was a part of Toastmasters, and that made him a more effective communicator. He later went on to become a corporate trainer, and we heard a little bit about him getting into IT. In part two, in episode 255, we heard about Larry's experience in ERP systems implementation for a global organization that continued to grow. And some of that growth wasn't great for Larry. He didn't like some of the cultural changes, and there was a little bit of unhappiness as a result. Larry shared a very personal struggle with alcohol and his path to recovery from that. And within that discussion, he also talked about multiple side hustles and how he's had a number of entrepreneurial endeavors over the course of his career. This week in part three, you'll get to hear the story of how Larry discovered podcasting. How did he go from thinking it was silly to becoming an iterative creator, an avid podcaster? In this discussion, Larry will share some thoughts on personal branding. What is that? How can you improve yours? And how has his brand recognition improved based on some of the influence he's gained being a public speaker at different conferences? And what does it really take to be a keynote speaker? What do you have to do to be effective in that? Larry will also share some advice for the entrepreneur or someone wanting to start their own business. Here we go with part three and the conclusion of our discussion with Larry Roberts. But yeah, man, it was just, it was a very, very difficult time. But your question was, how did I get into podcasting? So I got out of rehab in January of 2014. And one of my coworkers, I don't know, long about March, April, he knew I was looking for something, didn't know exactly what. And he knew I was a fight fan. He knew that Joe Rogan commentated for the UFC. He knew I'd always been a huge UFC fan. I even watched the UFC while I was in rehab. <laughs> so I never missed a show. But uh, he goes, man, just listen to his podcast. And I'm like, man, I don't have time for podcasts. That's stupid. It's for nerds. It's not my thing. I don't want to do it. And man, lo and behold, I listened to it finally just to shut Ryan up. And when I got on there, I heard these two comedians, Joey Diaz and Tony Hinchcliffe. And 
being the age that I am, I grew up in the eighties and I grew up around comedians that were less than clean with like the Dice Clays and the Sam Kinnison's and the Robin Williams and all of these raunchy and just, just really pushing the envelope type comedians. And the episode of Joe Rogan that I listened to, those two comedians were telling those same kind of jokes. And I was like, this is what podcasting is. This is the coolest thing ever. Cause you know, I might've told those jokes in the corporate environment and may have ended up in HR a time or two myself. And I'm thinking if I could do this on a podcast and not get in trouble, this is heaven on earth. So my very first podcast was a comedy podcast and I got an, uh, a friend of mine. Well, I mentioned Kenny, who is who I called to, to go to rehab. His son was an open mic comedian here in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. And so I, I called Jamie up and I said, Hey bro, I'm going to start this podcast thing. What do you think? And he's like, yeah, I'm in. So I went out and bought probably the worst mic you can buy for podcasting. Uh, it was a Yeti snowball. And if your podcasters are out there, it's literally a it's about the size of a softball. It's white. We took it off its little tripod because I only bought one and I've got a co-host. So we took it off its little tripod and we gently cupped that snowball because again, it looks just like a softball and we would speak whatever we had to say into it. And then we would gently hand it off to the other person and they would hold it and they would speak what they had to say into it. And we passed this back and forth for about an hour and a half while we recorded our very first podcast episode. And that's how it all started. That is quite the story (laughs) (laughs) it's so interesting because podcasting is really i mean the way that i think about it is a medium right you can find podcasts on whatever it is now maybe not in 2014 but now you can find podcasts on whatever it is that you want to listen to so it could be raunchy comedy it can be clean comedy it can be technology it can be careers It can be accounting. I know that there's accounting podcasts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Parenting, whatever you want. If I recall, and I'm sure somebody will correct me on this, but I think there's 114 different categories on Apple Podcasts where you can find podcasts on a variety of different topics. So there's there's plenty out there. Absolutely. But right at 2014 is kind of riding the crest of that, that boom, you know, the explosion. It's it's so fascinating because it's really democratized. I mean, essentially what is radio, sure. right? To have your own radio show, there's, you know, massive barriers. But to have your own podcast, all you needed was, well, that Yeti snowball. A Yeti snowball and a, and a, and a computer to record on. That's it. Right. Because right. even back then, they had free software like uh, Audacity to, to record on. So you plug in a USB microphone and you're off to the races. What kept you doing it, Larry? So you tried it out. You had this co-host. You were going to do comedy. Tell us about the, I discovered that I really liked doing it or why you persisted. That, that's what I'm really curious about. You know, it kind of goes back to, I mentioned earlier that I'm more of a creative thinker than anything. So much so, and this leads into my nerddom. Uh, if you look at my high school class ring, on one side, it's a parchment for business. And on the other side, it's a palette for art. So art and business were always my two favorite things. I didn't have my basketball number because I was horrible at basketball. Uh, So I was always leaning into the artistic side of things. Uh, So creativity was always at the forefront of my thought process. And podcasting allowed me a creative outlook. It gave me that opportunity to be as creative as I wanted in an unregulated, wild, wild west type of an environment. And man, that's where I thrive. And, you know, our podcast, it crushed. It did amazing. 
we took it from even just a podcast. We took it to a live stage show. Uh, the live stage show was very successful. It evolved over time into an open mic night and eventually became the largest open mic in all of Dallas-Fort Worth outside of the comedy clubs. People would drive from all over the Metroplex to come to this open mic. And it all started from our podcast. Now, Jamie, being the young buck that he was at the time, he leveraged the podcast, and he's pretty funny too, to launch an amazing comedy career. He ended up going on tour with Eddie Griffin. Uh, he had a residency at the New Sahara in Las Vegas. He continues to do comedy today. Uh, he's just crushing it. And all of it came from the podcast. So that was really showed me what the power of a podcast could be. <laughs> but going back, here we go. See, I, I mentioned before that it's pretty surprising that I never got fired from this company because I definitely pushed the envelope on a number of occasions. But the podcast, just the name was an innuendo. And I won't even tell you what the name is here on the show. But we had merch and the show was very popular. Even the HR director of the company may have been a fan of the show. But it got to where people were wearing our merch at the office. And again, with the name of the show being an innuendo, very inappropriate for it to be in an office environment. So it wasn't long before, once again, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Larry, let's have a chat in HR. So it, it came down to either it's you or the show, bro. One's got to go. And so I ended up, because uh, again, at the time, wasn't prepared to step away from that nice fat check. I ended up having to say goodbye to the show. So that show ended up dying. Uh, the, the open mic remained. The open mic just shut down. I think it was just last year. The open mic finally shut down. And the only reason it shut down is because the business that hosted it, they got shut down for tax evasion. So like, oh, thanks, guys. You know, it continued to live on for years and years and years. And it was just amazing. But when I had to walk away from the show, I still knew I loved podcasting. I loved that creative element of podcasting. So I ended up starting a new show and I had no idea how podcasting worked. I had no idea about branding or finding your audience or finding a niche or I had no idea about anything uh, when it came to really building a show. We stumbled into a successful show because it was content that people enjoyed. You know, it, I, we had a variety of different guests on from all walks of life. Uh, we had comedians, we had actresses in, from certain demographics that would come on the show. Uh, we had crazy lawyers that you'd see on TV with their wild lawyer. I mean, we just had this, this, these crazy guests that made it so much fun and people just loved the content, but I didn't really know how to replicate that and not stay in that same genre. So I started a podcast and I called it readily random, which is literally the worst name you could name a podcast because it tells people absolutely nothing. What does that even mean? I had a blog back in the MySpace days under the same name. Now, I should have learned from that because no one read that blog, but, but I thought the name was still cool, and I thought, oh, I'd make a great podcast. So uh, it's still going under the whole Joe Rogan delusions of grandeur concept, thinking that I could do what I want for as long as I want, talk to whoever I want, and people are going to listen. And that was the premise for Readily Random, was just, I'm going to talk to whoever I want and have engaging conversations. I mean, I did. I got to interview a lot of cool people. Uh, little known fact, uh, Larry is a, a big fan of origami. I love folding paper, that creative side of things, right? So one of my guests was the premier American origami artist in the world. He was, he is the cat daddy and he's an MIT professor 
and he's done some of the coolest origami pieces that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, and I had him on my show. And me personally, I was super intrigued. But no one cared. No, no one wanted to listen. So that was really hard to go from a show that had a, a strong following and had engagement to a show that really not many people listened to. But I just enjoyed it, so I kept doing it. Uh, and then eventually, I started to realize how you market a podcast, how you grow a podcast, how you find an audience. Uh, and eventually, the name of the show changed. I've gone through several names of the show. And before it was over, it, the name of the show was You're the Boss. And it was all about being entrepreneurs and you being your own boss and interviewing other entrepreneurs and how they were successful. Uh, but then I ended up killing that show as well because I kind of just got burnt out on the whole concept. And it didn't feel creative. It just felt redundant. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and that was kind of how, again, I go into something and I go hardcore, but then I tend to burn out pretty quick too once that creative aspect disappears. Can you tell me what you meant by it felt redundant? Was it redundant podcast-wise, or were you having the same conversations over and over again? It was essentially the same conversation. And I started feeling like I was creating infomercials more so than engaging conversations because people would come on my show. And at the time, too, I wasn't really seeking guests. Guests were coming to me, or I had booking agencies that were sending me potential guests via email. They'd send me their one sheets. I'd read it. I'd go, oh, that sounds cool. So there wasn't a real emotional involvement on my part either. I, I don't just want to blame the guests, but it got to where it felt that the guests were just coming on the show to talk about their latest business offering or their latest book or their latest podcast, and then poof, they're gone. And there's no relationship there. There's no exchange of mutual benefits there. You know, I didn't get anything out of it. They didn't necessarily get anything out of it. But at the same time, it's up to me. Now I have to produce the show. I have to have it edited. I have to market the show. I have to do all this fun stuff. And they're just gone. So that, that I started getting a little jaded in that arena and wanted to just go back to having fun podcasts. And even for a while, I mean, I probably didn't have a podcast for, I don't know, maybe nine months to a year until just recently I started a new show called Branded with my co-host, Sarah. Uh, and it's just a fun show. I think we're 22, 23 episodes in. It's just all about personal branding, uh, but it's fun and we keep it short and it's primarily just her. We do occasionally have guests that come on and we do interviews, but primarily it's just her and I talking about how to create a personal brand and how to leverage that personal brand to gain attention and gain clients. Now, if I remember correctly, this is a phrase that is uh, nails on the chalkboard for Nick. Oh, personal brand. Yeah, I, I find the term somewhat just annoying, but I, I understand the reason people need Something like that. The reputation. It's the combination of words. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got to have a personal brand. Yeah. Well, I, I think Nick is also, I don't know, maybe it's marketing implies sales. Nick, is, is that right? I, I don't know. Is, is the idea of like, you know, selling yourself maybe. Well, that's kind of how I felt with my podcast. We, you know, at the end of, at the end of, of You're the Boss was I kind of felt like I was just selling myself. I felt like I was on the, the, the podcast street corner and people were coming by and just picking me up for a half hour and then leaving me, you know, dropping me back off where they found me. And it wasn't fulfilling anymore. It was, it was more of a chore than anything else. There was no creative aspect to it. There was no fun to it. And I, I desperately wanted to get back to the fun of podcasting. So what does a personal branding mean for you? Personal branding for me means getting attention. You know, how do you get attention? 
how do you bring attention to your show? How do you bring attention to your business? How do you bring attention to your message? How do you create a community? How do you engage with people? You know, people look at me because of the red hat and they go, oh, your brand is so on point. And it's just a hat, guys. You know, I started wearing it by accident. I, I didn't intentionally start wearing this red hat and become the red hat guy. It was complete accident. But now people think that I'm a branding guy because wherever I go in the podcast space, especially, and now it's getting to where that it's that way somewhat in the AI space as well. Uh, the red hat guy is it, that's the brand. I was supposed to speak at EO Nerve three weeks ago, coming up on four weeks ago now. And uh, I ended up getting injured <laughs> because I'm 51. And sometimes if you just look to the left to see if traffic is coming, that causes an, an inju- causes an injury. And my neck just completely locked up and I was in excruciating pain. Uh, so I had flown to Tampa to speak and I came off the plane and ended up in the hospital in Tampa, Florida. And I was laying there in that hospital bed when I was supposed to be on stage speaking, uh, at EO. But after I got released from the hospital, there was still one more day left in that conference. And there were some people there that I wanted to meet. So even though I was in extreme pain, I was still at the hotel where the event was. I managed to get up enough gumption to get dressed and go down to the conference room floor to have lunch. And as soon as I stepped off the elevator, I was literally swarmed with people going, oh, you were the guy that was supposed to talk about AI. Oh, you're that red hat guy. They didn't know my name, but they'd seen my marketing. They'd seen my branding. And they knew that I was the guy that was supposed to have been on stage the day before. And literally, there was 12 to 15 people that as soon as I stepped off, came my way. It was almost like when you throw a breadcrumb in the water and the little, all the little guppies come and they start, you know, trying to eat the breadcrumb. It was the same thing. And it was because they recognized me because of my personal logo, my personal brand, or my personal identifier. But what people don't understand is that that's all that is. This is just for people to recognize me. The brand, the personal brand is everything that you have that's underneath this red hat. It's the value that you bring to your customers. It's the value that you bring to your community. It's the way you bring that value to that community. Uh, it's, it's finding your uniqueness. And I think it was Larry Wingett that said it best. Find your uniqueness, then learn how to leverage that uniqueness in the service of others. That's what a real personal brand is all about. It's not just having that red hat on your head that makes you stand out in a crowd. It's the value proposition that's underneath it. So the red hat brand is kind of an anchor point for people to remember what it is that you bring to the conversation. 100%. I mean, I'm literally reading a book right now called Hook Point. I think it's by Brendan Kane, And that's exactly what it is. It's finding that anchor or that hook point in your personal branding that grabs that attention. And this particular book, it's all about doing it within three seconds, because that's essentially where our attention spans are these days. That's funny that that book has a red umbrella on the, on the cover. It does. <laughs> you're, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Something recognizable. The company I work for picked out a, a shade of purple. Maybe I'll need to get a hat. <laughs> you very well may, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because that's where people come to me now, and that's one of the biggest questions. What, what, what can I find to wear that, that makes me stand out? <laughs> I'm like, bro, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, an article of clothing. I mean, look at Jesse Cole. He does it even better than me, and he did it long before I did it. But he did it intentionally. Jesse Cole is the owner of the Savannah Bananas. And what does he wear everywhere he goes? He wears a yellow tux. Everywhere he goes, he's in a yellow tux. And he actually has a book called How to Find Your Yellow Tux, which really sucks because I'm writing a book right now and it should be out within the next couple of weeks. 
It's actually done. I'm just putting the final tweaks on it, uh, getting it ready to self-publish here uh, probably next week. So ideally, it'll be out in two weeks called Under the Red Hat, How to Stand Out in a Crowded Marketplace. But Jesse stole all the good content because he did it first and he does it better. But he did such an amazing job that he grew the Savannah Bananas, which is just a feeder league to the majors, into a major, major event that people love. And he took a lot of flack for naming a baseball team the Bananas. People were like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But he created it as a brand and he created it as an experience. So now when you go to a Savannah Bananas baseball game, you're not just going to a baseball game. You're going to a family event that's all about community, that's all about experience, and it's all about remembering that time that you had together at the Savannah Bananas baseball game. So that's where he's taking it to that really that, that next level, and I think that's what people don't understand. We're a career-oriented podcast, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, how, how do we as you know, advisors bring this to people who are trying to advance in their careers. And you're right. I think it doesn't need to be an article of clothing. It could be, it could be anything, but you want that thing to be memorable because you want people to know and understand what it is that you're bringing to the table, like what your strengths are and the advantages that they are going to have by having you around. And a branding exercise is a memory exercise. Like how do you remember me and what it is that I'm bringing? So for example, I think earlier on, you mentioned the Intel Inside commercials with the uh, the guys in the clean suits uh, dancing around, the bunny suits, I think is how they were referred to at the time. And that was an extremely memorable branding experience. And it's probably the first time that anybody ever thought about Intel as a, as a company, like outside of the the computer field and we can all hear the sound that plays when that logo flashes <laughs> right right see and that's sonic branding that's exactly what that is that's a whole other level of branding that they call sonic branding uh, and it's absolutely critical as well i mean how many times could you hear a transformer transform you know that wah, 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 and go oh that's transformers i know that sound because we, <laughs> we make those associations with those brands that uh, that's sonic branding maybe Instead of wearing a purple hat, I'll just play a, a, a series of tones every time I join a meeting, <laughs> every time I walk into a room. <laughs> you know, from a corporate perspective, I think it's, it's how do people perceive you? You know, if we look at it, and when I say I went to rehab, then we went back to the office, guess what? Even though they weren't allowed to ask or talk about it, everybody knew where I was. And that brand overshadowed everything. Uh, Larry was the alcoholic. He went to rehab. That was my personal brand going forward. No matter what the quality of my work was, that still hung over my head like a dark cloud. And that became my brand. And it also became an obvious stopping point for my career there. You know, I didn't necessarily have to leave, but I also knew that if I set, stayed there, I wouldn't go anywhere. You know, any aspirations of a, a higher level position or a management position or any kind of leadership position, that's toast because I did exponential damage to my personal brand within the office. So your brand in the office, it, you don't have to wear, I don't know, a bow tie every day to work, you to stand out. It could be the quality of the work that you provide. It could be the, the, the quality of care that you provide your coworkers. It's the understanding nature that you listen. Maybe you're the best listener in the bunch. You know, maybe you don't talk a lot, but man, you can take what somebody says and you can transform that into exactly what they're asking for. That's a personal brand. 
And it, it, it's not something that you see, or even from a sonic branding perspective, it's not necessarily something you hear, but it's something you experience. And I think that's where people lose sight of how do I establish a personal brand, even in a corporate environment. You have to figure out what your superpower is, right? Figure out the things you're really yeah. good at and help leave an impression on others with those. We had a guy on the help desk that was, he's a friend, uh, so I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, but he wasn't the most technically savvy. Yeah, he, he had his MCSE and, and he had gone through it. He's got a certificate, but man, applying it was just really a challenge for this cat. But every Friday, 2 p.m., you know what you're going to see? You're going to see this dude walking through the office with his dolly, and it's going to have cases and cases of paper, and he's filling up every printer in the house every Friday. And that became his brand. Everything we talked about, every time we talked about this cat, it was, you know your printers are going to be full on Friday at 2 p.m. because, man, he's Johnny on the spot. It never stops. If you call the help desk and he picks up, eh, you might accidentally want to disconnect. But you know you're going to have printer paper when you go to print something. You're not going to be out of paper. So that was his personal brand. You know, oh, what's up, dude? All right, cool. Appreciate you. He was a cool cat, but that was that was kind of the thing. So your personal brand could be anything, literally. And I like to tell my daughter, you know, people are watching your say-do ratio. Or do you, are you doing what you said you'd do? What are you committed to do? People, you may not think they're watching, but they're watching. Yeah, uh, believe me, they're, they are definitely watching. So you kind of have expanded your experience in podcasting into a business where you're helping other people with, it's, it feels a little bit like personal branding and technology. Maybe it's, it's uh, and it sounds like AI now as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how you kind of got into the, the meta conversation, right? Not actually having necessarily the podcast, but helping other people to utilize these, uh, you know, technical aspects and technical skills that you have to their advantage. It was so much, man. I, I stumbled into it back even when I was still in corporate, uh, of course, doing things like leveraging the Microsoft BI suite and, and understanding there's some AI involved there and, and leveraging predictive analytics. I'd already seen somewhat of what, you know, some of, I, I had a very basic understanding of, of how AI can definitely help and then when ChatGPT dropped November of last year, I was like, this could streamline what we're doing in the podcast space. Because a lot of podcasters, they want a podcast. And especially during the, the last three years, we had a ton of what I call COVID creators, where people come out of the woodworks and I don't have anything else to do. Can't go anywhere. Let's start a podcast. And then they start a podcast and they realize, oh my gosh, this podcast thing, it's a lot of work. I got to record it. I got to schedule people. I got to edit it. I, I got to create micro content to go with it. I got to market it. This takes a ton of time. And a lot of people got overwhelmed. And a lot of the COVID creators, they faded out, many of them within three episodes, because they didn't understand the workload that goes into creating a, a podcast as well. And when ChatGPT dropped, I started seeing ways to streamline a lot of the workflow for a podcast. And I have the benefit of being heavily involved in PodFest, the largest independent podcasting conference that's out there. Uh, there's two big podcast conferences that are out there, PodFest, geared towards the independent podcasters and podcast movement, which is geared more towards industry and more corporate type podcasters. They do have independent tracks, but their their real focus is on the on the big dogs. So I was chosen as a speaker at PodFest. It was January of this year. And I spoke on AI and they put me on the main stage 
had a room full of 400 or so people, uh, back to back days. I did the same talk twice and it was all about AI. And in that crowd happened to be some other higher level business owners, uh, and even some other organization promoters that were in the audience. And they immediately came to me and started asking me to come to their organizations, talk about AI, come to their companies, talk about AI. What is this AI stuff and how can we use it? So that talk that I did back in January was all about using specifically Chad GPT uh, for content creation. You know, anything from generating show notes to show titles to show scripts, uh, social media posts, anything you can imagine. Because, you know, at the time, back in January, Chad GPT was still just text only. So anything that we could do from a text position within podcasting, how do we use Chad GPT to do it? And that talk just launched so many opportunities for me. And then that evolved over the, over the last several months, put me on TV here in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Uh, I've become a regular on ABC on the morning show here in Dallas called Good Morning Texas. Uh, I've been on there multiple times now, and they've got me scheduled to make more appearances as well. And it was all because of my understanding what the impact of AI could be on our content creation industry, and then just sharing that with people. So it was being able to dial into all of the experience and and training that I've had over the years and channel it into this, this new opportunity. How did being a podcaster, having been a trainer, and then being a part of Toastmasters mesh together to make you a better public speaker? I mean, that's a big deal, right? These big stages, it's not like you had 15 people. That's, it could have been thousands. Ooh, that's interesting. And, and the stages have grown. You know, The stages have grown significantly at a very, very fast rate. I still attribute it all back to, to being a good communicator and honestly, all the way back to the Toastmaster days. And it's, it's fun too. I, I, was, I was talking to somebody, it's been a couple of months now, and I talked about going from the cage to the stage. And it, it's the same level of excitement. It's the same level of fulfillment. When I go on stage, I, I have the same exact butterflies. I have the same exact nerves. It's the same fears that I had every time before I climb in the ring. And then after I deliver that talk, and if I see that the audience just really got some value and I feel like I just crushed it, it felt the same as getting my hand raised after a fight. For me, it's that same level of fulfillment. It's that same level of excitement. And all those aspects that you bring, whether it was Toastmasters at the time, whether it's being a facilitator in a corporate environment, whether it's being a podcaster on a microphone, all of those elements combined to give me the comfort level that I need to have to actually step on stage and perform at that level. Because it really is. I mean, when, when you're keynoting, it's, it's a performance. You, it, you're, you're putting on a show. You're having to provide value. You're also having to make it entertaining. And you're having to make a genuine connection with a room full, <laughs> typically a large room full of strangers that may be even judging me. Because going back to the personal branding aspect, it doesn't matter what stage I'm on. Guess what I'm wearing? A red ball cap. So it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a room full of decamillionaires at Entrepreneurs Organization, or I'm talking to the State Board of Education in San Antonio just last week, I still go on stage in the same thing. I'm wearing my Jordans because I still love my Jordans. I'm wearing my Rock Revival jeans because I can't let them go. And I'm wearing typically a hoodie and my ball cap. That's it. So I show up the exact same way regardless of the stage that I'm on. But the key factor there is keeping in mind that regardless of the stage I'm on, I have to communicate at the level of the audience. 
So I'm not using the same verbiage or the same terminology when I'm talking to the State Board of Education here in Texas as I used in January to a room full of independent podcasters. So it's those skill sets and understanding how to communicate and at what level to communicate with people that I believe has been the cornerstone of the success of my speaking career to date. And I've still got a long ways to go. But I I think those are the key elements that taking bits and pieces from all of that to uh, allow me to understand my audience and be able to to tailor fit that that conversation to that audience. Well, I know that the entrepreneur definitely needs to tailor their message to the audience. As we close here, what advice do you have for the would-be entrepreneur before they go crazy and start trying to solve problems? Wow, that's so big. One, well, you, you mentioned one thing right there, identify a problem. But the biggest thing too is, and, and people don't hear this enough, I don't think, uh, is you got to plan for it. You got to plan to step away. When I left corporate America back on January 4th of 21, I didn't just wake up that morning and go, cool, I'm out. The year before, my wife and I, we'd already agreed that I was leaving. We already made adjustments to our budgets. We paid off all of our debt. We sold my baby. I had to sell my Raptor. So I didn't even have a car. We had one car because I worked from home. Anytime I travel, I can take an Uber to the airport and go wherever I need to go. I didn't necessarily need a car. So we sold that vehicle. We paid off our other vehicle. So our debt was minimized. Our outgoing expenses were extremely minimized. And we had saved to a point where I had enough money to give us a cushion to where the wife, because my wife, she doesn't really understand this whole entrepreneur thing. She's like, bro, it's easy. Just put up with it for eight hours a day and you're good to go. No, I'm I'm not going to do that. And thankfully, over the last three years, she's gotten more and more supportive. And now she's one of my biggest fans. So it's, uh, it's amazing. But again, we planned for it. I didn't just wake up and have some wild hair that now I'll be a podcaster and everything's going to work out because it didn't. When I left January 4th, I had a certain business plan and I tried to implement that business plan for eight months. Then long about August, it was, I had, it, it was almost like I was back in corporate. I got that knock on my office door that said, hey, let's go over to HR and have a talk. But HR was really just a living room in this instance. And my wife was like, bro, you had this plan and uh, well, it's not really working, is it? So. We looked, I was like, oh yeah, you're right. It's really not working. So what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? So I had to make some adjustments. I had to change the model. I had to change my idea of my ideal client. And I had to adapt to the situation to where, oh, now it is starting to work. I, I made very little money that first year. Now, the second year, awesome. Surpassed my salary, did really well. This year, same thing. Surpassed my salary, doing even better. And we're seeing progress each and every year. But it's that planning, regardless of what it is, man. Don't just wake up one morning and go, I'm out, because it's probably not going to work for you. It's a, an extremely risky thing to do, just massively risky. Oh, yeah, huge. But I, I really like that idea of, hey, let's de-risk the entire thing by taking care of personal finances, get rid of as much debt as possible. In this case, you had a partner who also um, was able to support the endeavor through nine to five and emotionally and reality check wise. She does not hesitate with the reality checks. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I really like that. It, and that's probably true of, it doesn't even have to be an entrepreneurial change, right? It, it could be, oh, I want to go work for a startup yeah. and that's riskier than working for 
a company that is established and profitable. And in order for that to work, I, you know, probably need to get personal finances in order, have a supportive partner, you know, de-risk that move as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, especially if you have kids or something, you know, my kids were completely grown, you know, I, my, my kids are, uh, my daughter's what, 31, my son's 28. So even at the time I didn't have those types of responsibilities hanging over my head. So if your family's, you know, you're in the earlier stages of your family growth and, and you've got more responsibilities that you have to attend to, all those things have to be taken into account. Yeah. I, I suppose you de-risk that by, you, you could always move in with your kids, right? They, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, because they're they're much much more successful than I ever was. I mean, they both are. My son graduated from Texas A and M. My daughter graduated from Texas Wesleyan over in Fort Worth. Uh, I think my son's a spy because he he graduated from A and M with a degree in linguistics, e- emphasizing in Russian. So he speaks fluent Russian. And then he left and he got his uh, yes, he got his CISSP. And I think he works for an alphabet soup agency, but he won't admit it. So yeah, I think he's a spy, but my daughter is a physical therapist. I mean, she's super successful, got two rugrats of her own. Her husband is a police officer over in Arlington, Texas. So yeah, they've done amazingly well on their own. Larry, thanks so much for spending this time with us and, and going over your story and the lessons that you've learned. It's been really amazing. It's, it's an interesting journey, man. It's, it's funny. Cause I tell people that my life, uh, if you remember the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest, he does a little bit of everything in that movie. You know, I mean, he's a ping pong player. He went to Vietnam. He was a great soldier. He was a he, great shrimp boat captain and everything in between. But if you ever read the novel, he does even more. I mean, in the novel, he has a pet monkey. He goes to space. I mean, he just does everything. And I think I've lived a very Forrest Gump type life. I've done a little bit of everything. So uh, it's, it's, it's never been a dull moment. Where can people follow up with you, Larry, if they have questions about some of the things we talked about today? Yeah, man. Uh, redhatmedia.io is my website. And as far as social media goes, I'm all over everything. Uh, the Larry Roberts on Instagram and on Facebook. Just reach out to me, man. I'd love to hear from you. Larry, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. A lot of fun. How often do we think about what our personal brand is at the office? Is it the same at the job you're at now compared to the job you were before? It really is the sum of our actions and our words as perceived by others. Larry talked about how his personal brand at his employer was impacted by his struggles with addiction and going to rehab. He knew that he wasn't going to progress there. But I think his story is a lesson for all of us that we can change our personal brand. It's probably going to take time, maybe a little bit of reinvention. But that consistency that Larry uses when he shows up on stage the same way every single time, people know what to expect from him because he's consistent. Would other people say that you're consistent in how you show up? Or are you carried off by the wind of every single emotion that hits you that day? Think about that. 
do we have the consistency required to build a lasting brand that can take us further in our careers? And if you are going to change the perception of your brand, let's just say, it's going to take some thoughtfulness. It may take some feedback from other people. And don't forget to check out Larry's branded podcast that he mentioned in the show. You can find the links to that in the show notes at nerd-journey.com, along with links to all the books that he mentioned in the discussion. Have you ever thought about how fighting and public speaking might not be so different for someone? For Larry, it's not about getting the attention primarily. It's about connecting with the audience. He wants to leave an impact, knowing that he's left an impact and feeling fulfilled in doing so. That's the victory. That's the win. That's like getting his hand raised after a fight because he's delivering on the value that he was supposed to deliver as a keynote speaker. That takes a lot of preparation. And we didn't necessarily highlight the level of preparation that that requires, but it's not the same as just a presentation that you might do for work, for example. It's probably going to be more preparation. But speaking of presentations, we should be thinking about tailoring our message depending on who the audience is. Are we speaking to an audience of executive leaders? Or are we speaking to an audience of individual contributors? The level of the presentation, is it extremely technical? Is it higher level and more business focused? Maybe you are addressing a group of advanced users of a technology and you want to go deep and you can use a lot of the common terms. But maybe you're speaking to a group of beginners and you need to really go in and explain some of those getting started and foundational concepts so they don't get lost. We should always seek to meet the learners where they are in as much as we know about them going into it, because that is going to get you the victory of getting your point across and and helping other people understand. And this is just a future Larry callback to being an effective trainer and instructor. He's still doing it from the stages he's on. There's this theme of iteration, a creative, we'll call it fluid iteration throughout this particular interview, I think. Think about the podcast for a second. At first, Larry thought podcasts were silly until he really listened to one and realized the power of that medium. And then he started doing it. And he didn't stop. He enjoyed doing it. And he's done it a number of times. But there was a point where it wasn't fun anymore. He realized that it needed to change to stay interesting for him to continue to gain value from it. So he was willing to recognize that a change was needed and then do something about it. And I think that goes for any project that we're going to start and do for a long time. If it stops being fun, you may need to stop doing it or you may need to change what you're doing so that it's still interesting, so that it's still valuable. Is it really the thing you want to do? This fluidity applies to the business owner as well or the entrepreneur. When Larry couldn't make his business plan successful after working on it for eight months, he had to change things. He had to really look at why wasn't what he was doing working? What was it that needed to change so that he could be successful with it? Just like he changed up the podcast. I think we can have the perfect plan if we're starting when we're starting a business and just realize that it's probably going to change and continue 
to change. We need to continue to adapt to changing markets, just like Todd Cochran shared in some of our discussions with him. And if you are going to branch out on your own and start a business, you need to plan for it financially. Hopefully you have some support. But again, you need to plan for whatever you started to look different down the road, to change over time. If you listen to this and identify with being an entrepreneur or wanting to start your own business, here are a few listening recommendations that I would share with you. Certainly not exhaustive, but just a few to get you started. Go back to the beginning with Tom Delicati in episodes 13 and 14. He shared about starting his own business. Ashley Connell, episodes 96 and 97. Why did she become an entrepreneur? Al Elliott, episode 235 and 236. Great discussions of what being an entrepreneur is and multiple iterations of him working on different businesses. Michael Levan, episode 183 and 184. David Klee. Episode 119 and 120. Kristen Carter, episode 216 and 217. There are many more out there that I could have listed off, but that's just a small sampling. Go check out some of those and listen to the reasons they went into business for themselves. Why did it make sense for them to step into it full time? How did they prepare for it? I hope you enjoyed this series of discussions with Larry Roberts. If you did, could you recommend their journey to a friend? Could you rate us five stars if this has been helpful to you? We sure appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at BeJourneyman. For Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore. Signing off. Adios. Adios.